Welcome back to Always Evolving with me, Coach Mike, Mike Bear. I have a special guest today. I actually called my literary agent, Jan Miller. I said, Jan, I want someone who's doing really good in the world, and I want to feature them on my podcast. And she goes, you have to get Cheryl Action Jackson. I said, Cheryl Action Jackson? She goes, yes, she's an author, speaker, TV host, and a successful social entrepreneur. And she happens to be the CEO of Minnie's Food Pantry, a charity she founded to honor her mother, the late Dr. Minnie Hawthorne Ewing. Through this amazing charity, Dr. Jackson has fed more than 12 million people in America. I'm so excited to introduce her. So let's get started. Welcome, Dr. Jackson. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Coach Mike. And don't we both just love Jan Miller? She's the best. Yeah. I mean, and it's really good to meet you. And you're in Plano, Texas, right by Dallas. Right. And and what are you a doctor of? Because it's Dr. Jackson. Where would you get your doctorate? Well, actually, I got in a, from a college. It's just an honorary doctorate degree from all the meals that we provide. My mother and I got an honorary doctorate at the same time. And it was the year that she died. They um, gave us, we didn't know she was going to die. But about four months before my mother died, we both received honorary doctorate degrees. Wow. Yeah. So now, though, um, I am going, I just got a full ride scholarship to Paul Quinn College. So uh, I'm going to go to college and see if I can get a, a real doctorate degree. Ooh, I can find the time. Yeah, I mean, it's real enough. It's doctor, doctor. I mean, yeah. it's it's real to me. Yeah. I mean, it shows that you've done some great work. And so fill everyone in on what drives you to feed people. What drives me to feed people, Mike, is um, having been in that situation myself, needing to feed my own family. I had two beautiful sons. My husband and I, we were both collectively working five jobs. He was working for the city. I'm working my jobs. We're both throwing the newspaper. And we literally couldn't make ends meet, which is happening right now in this pandemic. And um, so I was like, you know what? We've got to have a good meal. And I went and I applied for food stamps. And it was the most horrific thing I'd ever experienced. And I was just thinking, dang, there has to be a better way. Well, life got better for me. I, I, well, I what started- is? Let me let me ask you real quick. What what was so horrific about the food stamp process when you had to do it, and and why did you have to do it? Yeah, well, I had to do it because we just couldn't. It was a choice. Do I pay my light bill? Do I pay my phone bill? Do we pay our rent? I mean, we were just barely making ends meet. I'm making six dollars and fifty cents an hour, and you know, you got two kids in school, and so it's just like. And my husband just, my father had told my husband, he said, "If you can't take care of my daughter, bring her back home." So every time I wanted to go to my parents to tell them, my husband's like, you can't. Your dad said, I have to bring you back home. And so I was like, okay, I've got to, as a mother, I've got to make sure that my kids have healthy meals. And so I said, the only way that I know to do is to just go and apply for food stamps. And what was so horrific about it was everything from the all the big stacks of paper that you have to fill out to you just being called a number, you know, number 72, you know, to the people that are sitting in the room and, and it's just doom and gloom. And it's just, you're just, you're all sitting there and you all know that everyone has a need in that place. And the need is just something as simple as a meal. And it just, you, I'll just never forget the smell. I will never forget the babies crying. I would never forget the women that were in there. I don't remember seeing too many men, but the women that were in there, that we were all just looking at each other, ready for our number to be called and to see if we qualified for anything. And uh, when they said that I didn't qualify because we worked too much and made a little bit too much money, uh, they handed me a brown paper bag, Mike. 
And in this brown paper bag, I promise you, I embraced it. I took it home and I was like, I may not have gotten it, but at least I have a meal for today. When I opened up that bag, everything in it was expired. And Mm -hmm. the only thing I remember were beets. I still have not cooked beets in my life to this day. And I remember just going down the wall, just sliding down the wall and just crying and going, God. And um, I just looked at my husband. I said, I tried. We just got to work harder. And that's what we started doing. We worked harder and uh, life got better. I, I won the 16th city tour to, to do interviews at the Oscars with Fox. And then I started working for Emmett Smith. And ironically, Emmett Smith would sign his autograph and every autograph he signed, people would have to bring canned goods. And he would literally fill up truckloads of food with canned goods. And so I was like, wow, this is really, really big. Now, granted, my parents were pastors. I saw them do this at our little small church, but I'd never seen it be done on the scale of Emmett Smith running back of the Dallas Cowboys dancing with the stars the way he was doing it. So he gave me a glimpse into the possibilities. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. But life was really great. And then my father died and he died Father's Day weekend, 2004. And when he died, it seemed like my world just turned upside down. I went into a three-year depression. My mother, we lived across the street from each other, my mother and I. So um, she came across the street and I had gotten out to 106 pounds. And she said, if you don't get up and do something, you're going to die. And I looked at her with tears going down my face. And I said, okay, I'm going to use my life to, to make a difference. And I said, and all I know is when I was hungry, how I wanted to be treated. Hi, this is Rachel Yucatel, and I'm here to invite you to listen to my podcast, Misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel. This podcast delves into the lives of those who have been reduced to a single headline. Each episode will take a closer look at the stories of those who are on a mission to change their narrative. Join me as we uncover the truth behind the misconceptions, shed light on the stories of those who have perhaps been wrongfully portrayed, explore the complexities of the human experience, and celebrate the power of second chances. Who doesn't love a good comeback story? So you said that your father died in 2004. And why was that so devastating to you that you ended up getting down to, did you say 106 pounds? Six pounds. It was that devastating because I was a daddy's girl, you know, and my family, we were a very tight knit family. And I love my father. I mean, I, man, I living across the street from him, my mom, I got to see him every day called him every day, you know, the, the, the butterfly kisses, if you will. And, um, I just felt like, and my father was a man of faith, so they were pastors. So, um, my father preached about prayer. He would teach about faith. So I just started really praying and I'm like, this God that you told me to pray to, surely he's going to hear me and you're not going to die. And when he died, I was devastated. I just, I, I lost all faith and I lost all hope. I literally lost it all. And I was wanting to go and be with my dad. I didn't care about mm. anything that was happening in my life. I just was like, dad's gone. I want to leave too. Not realizing what was still left. I just looked at what had just gone on to be. And it was hard. It was very difficult. And what was a turning point for you with getting over that? Um, or getting or he, getting through it or healing or great, like mm-hmm. whatever you would say. You know what? It was actually um, taking the two. So I looked at my mom and I said, you're all I have left. I said, I want to do a food pantry. I want to name it after you. And I really just want the world to know your name. I said, I'll, you're, you're all I have left, mom. And she's wiping my tears. And she's like, no, baby, you don't have to do that. And I said, yes, I do. Mom, you don't understand how in, 
like incredible you and dad were are to me and you're all I have left. And if anything happened to you, I would be so devastated. So I held her and she held me and we cried. And I just, I said, this is what I'm going to do. So Mike, I had two cans of corn and I went and found a little building. It was about a 500 square foot building. And I had the first and the last month's rent. And uh, that's how many started. And people were like, there's nobody hungry in Plano. You know, Plano was at that time, um, it was named the number one, the wealthiest city in the world to build wealth. That's where you need to move to, Plano, Texas. I mean, it's suburban. Steve Harvey lived like a mile, two miles from where I chose to open up my first mini's food pantry. And I, and I strategically chose a location that was by grocery store that when people walked in and walked out, they would see a line of the hungry. So I would create some awareness. And then it was in a very wealthy area. So these Porsches and everything else that drove by, they'd have to see that line. And one thing I knew to be true, either you're going to help me or you're not. And sometimes people don't do anything because they don't know any better. And so my job was going to be to make sure that people knew my name and to know that the faces of hunger was not just a person on the side of the road with a will work for food sign, or it's not someone, you know, on Skid Road or in Tent City. The face of hunger is a mother who has two or three kids who has daycare, diapers and everything else, or, or quick health crisis that now they have to choose. Do I pay my rent or do I get food for my child? Those are the people that are now the face of hunger. And I had to get that message out to the world. And, and a lot of times, and I had to get the message out that when you serve them, serve them with dignity and integrity. That was my platform. And so because I worked the red carpet at the Oscars, I said, what would life be like if I put a red carpet in a food pantry? Well, when people hmm. walk in, because I remember all of our heads were down, they looked down and then would look up and they would say, is this carpet for me? And we'd say, yes. And I say, and what would it be like if there was music piped in this place? Because my mother had seven kids and all we did was sing, sing, sing. Now I couldn't hold a tune in a bag, but I could sing, make a joyful noise. And mama said, well, y'all better sing louder than Cheryl because she's making a joyful noise, right? So I said, what would it be like if there was music? So you walk in, there's red carpet, there's music. And then I say, and what would it be like if it smelled good? You know, because when you go into the government places and all these places, they don't care, you know. So walk into minis and there's candles or fresh scents. I'm like, that's the space and place I want to create for feeding the hungry. And I started on the mission and it was crazy because everybody laughed. Nobody's hungry, Cheryl. Nobody's hungry. And then they would bring me food. And Mike, they would bring me the same thing that I got when I needed a, a meal but it was like expired stuff. And I would look in the bag and sometimes I'd look up with tears in my eyes and I would say, close your eyes. And if the person you're standing in front of me is the person you love the most, would this be the meal you would want me to give them? That is how I began to get the message across. And then they'd be like, oh, okay, I get it. Because at first they were like, no, if they need a meal, they should just be happy with whatever they get. I mean, we're giving them stuff. And then people's attitudes started changing because we're opening up their eyes. So it's a possibility that you're the one person that can change somebody's life and you can change it with a meal. Is this a life-changing meal for you? And one, tell me about maybe the first donor you had, or like there had to have been the first moment where somebody decided, Yeah. I right? Yeah, there yeah. Had to be that's a, good. This is a good question. I'm going to tell you why. Because when I started Minis, like I said, my mother... 
and, and had a little pantry named after her mother. It was called Helen's House, right? So I was the voice for Helen's House. And when I said, mom, I'm going to do minis, my mother, my mother was like, but I don't want you to do it. I want you to stay doing Helen's House for my mom. And I said, but mom, I said, um, your mom is already passed. I said, every time something great happens, you'll cry and say, I wish my mother was here to see this. I said, I don't want to say that. I want you to see the love that I have for you. And I want people to say your name while you're alive, right? So for almost a year, my mother and I, we lived across the street, but our relationship was strained because I walked away from something that was so near and dear to her. And so I looked at her and I said, mom, you're a praying lady. Go and pray and tell me what God says. And if he tells me, you tell me, he said, close down minis and to stay with you, I'll stay with you. And she prayed and she called me three days later. She said, you want to hear the answer? And I said, yes. She said, God told me to leave you alone. He said that your organization, this mini's food pantry that you create, and she's just got tears falling, will be one of the biggest charities known nationwide. And I was like, really? And that day after we hung up the phone, I was doing a radio show. My radio show was called The Real Happy Hour. It was one hour, people calling in, being happy, da, da, da. That day, Mike, a man called in. He said, I want to help you. I want to help you. He said, uh, this is the same day that my mother just told me this. I was like, okay. He said, well, what's your address? I give my address. The next day, he Federal Express a check. It was for $5,000. $5,000. And I was like, Mr. Goodman, is this a joke? Is this a joke? Because I was at that time getting 10, you know, 5, 10, oh, yeah. 15, 20. No thousands at all. But that was my biggest huge. And I called my mom. I was like, mom, mom, you won't believe this. And then from that moment until, you know, till she passed, I was able to share all the donations, whether, whether a kid that did a a lemonade stand and sent in $7 and they were so happy till the kids that came in where Mike, one time I didn't have the rent and I'm crying and I'm like, God, give me a sign. Am I, am I really doing the right thing? And this was the only day I'd ever called in. And my sister called and she said, come to the office. I get to the office. And there are these two kids literally holding a sign. And it said, when I was hungry, you fed me. And they had, yeah, and my rent was $1,350. They had raised $1,385. And it's those type of stories that, um, that let me know you are definitely on the right track. And, uh, and I haven't looked back since. Um, and, and then it really grew to the point where, I think I read over and uh, th- then how did Oprah get into the mix with you? And she helped you raise a lot of money. She did. She did. Now, Oprah's that, you know, I started following Oprah and I told my mom, I would say, mom, Oprah's going to help me. And she would rock, rock, do my hair. And she goes, I was like, she said, no, I would go to all of her giveaway. I mean, uh, some of her conferences and just really, you know, I tell Oprah, I said, my mother gave me life, but then my mother birthed me, but you gave me life during those times when I needed wisdom or I needed some nuggets or I would watch the Oprah Winfrey show and I write down every one of her sponsors and then I just start calling them. I'm like, they'll give to Oprah, maybe they'll give to me. And then every year I would ask Oprah if she would help me feed the hungry. Well, two things happened. The first one was when my mom died. Um, I'm literally just, my mother died suddenly Um of a heart attack in 2015, Mother's Day weekend. I just hung up the phone with her. She told me how proud she was of me. And we were talking about us building a new facility right where where she grew up, right on the corner. And she's like, I can't believe you love me so much. I'm so proud of you. I, I mean, I hear her voice right now. And I hang up the phone. 
do a board meeting, turn it over, turn my phone over afterwards. I missed 41 calls. And it was, if your mom, if you want to see your mom, you need to rush, rush to the house. I get to the house and they're wheeling her out and she'd had a heart attack and she passed. And again, I went into a depression and I was sitting on the bed and I, I'm crying and I'm like, I, I can't ask for money. I don't even care anymore. I want to shut it down. And, um, and then I said, God, you, you just got to give me a sign. I'm just, I'm grateful for where I've come this far, but I can't go anymore. I've lost both parents. And my immediately when I say, give me a sign, I get a ding from Oprah Winfrey. And it said, I didn't know your mom passed away. The text, it said, I want to donate $100,000 to your charity and I hope you're okay. And it, it just, I mean, I was just asking for a sign and there comes my sign. When you get a sign from Oprah, that's a pretty big sign from God. And, and had, Oprah, you ever you know? spoken, had you ever spoken to anyone on her side prior to that? I'd spoken to Oprah because I go to, I went to a lot of her workshops and I would always tell her, I mean, I tell the people like, we saw you here. We saw you there. I'm like, I'm not going to miss any of them because I don't just go to her workshops to hear her speak. I go to learn. And I believe that that's the, the success that I've had so far is because I've listened and I've applied what she said in a lot of her workshops where some people just, oh, it's Oprah Winfrey. You know, I remember a newspaper reporter when she was coming to Dallas, they're like, we got to find the biggest Oprah fan. Right. And so um, they went on the search and of course they landed right here in my office, but the guy, (laughs) he did, he CC'd someone, but I was on the link still. They go, we found the guru, the Oprah's biggest fan. I mean, he was saying all these things. And I said, I'm not her fan. I am her student. When I spoke to Oprah, I said, success without a successor is failure. I said, so I am your student. You're teaching me. And when you're gone, if you go before me, you will know that I've learned a lot of your principles and I'll apply it to my life. So, yeah, I've spoken to her people, sent her notes, not knowing whether or not she got most of them, but didn't matter. I just knew, you know, when you know, Mike, that you're you're going to do something in life. Right. And, you know, your purpose. Yeah, that's where I was in life. I was like, okay, my mom's going to help me and Oprah's going to help me. And I and I I actually, yes, the first time I met her, I Oprah Winfrey had said in her thing, she's like, I was in this depressed state. And she goes, sit down, write the top 10 things you want to do. So I didn't even go to college, like I said, but I said, okay, I want to have my own newspaper column. I want to interview Oprah. I want to interview Will Smith. I wrote all these things down. And then that year, Oprah did her very first Live Your Best Life. I flew from Dallas to Florida. My mama said, are you crazy? I said, no, ma'am. She goes, well, you're not going by yourself. So six other people went with me. And I said, I'm going to interview Oprah Winfrey. And that was just in my mind. It was in my heart. I knew. And so Oprah stands up on that stage and she just basically says, you know, don't ask me for anything. Well, I'm the last person she pointed to for a question. And I said, will you give me an interview? She gave me the only interview in the house. And it was then she, and then when she interviewed me, I was like, she goes, ask me anything, Cheryl. I was like, why you give me this interview? Because, you know, you don't know me. And she said, because our spirits connected. What do you love to do? And I said, I love to give. I love to serve others. And she said, you pursue that. And uh, she said, um, sure, your passion is doing that, that you would do, even if you weren't paid to do it. Now go and do it. And from that day until this day, I've been pursuing my passion. And Miss Winfrey's been a great part of that journey. Because she even came out for an event for you, right? Oh, so my mother dies. Um, Oprah, oh, my mother died. And then Oprah had donated $100,000 to my charity. And I was going to thank her. And so I was at, I got invited to her birthday party. And at that time, I was going to thank her. 
And uh, she, I, she walked up, but everybody was around. I just said, you know, can I speak to you later in private? She said, I'll call you. But in between this time, my younger brother now has surgery and it went bad. And for 41 days, his wife and I sat at his bedside so the doctors wouldn't pull the plug. Well, in those 41 days, I did not raise $250,000, which is what I needed. So Oprah was supposed to call me, but she never called. Well, all of this had happened. So I'm thankful she didn't call because by the time she finally called me, I was so frantic. And I was like, Oprah, Oprah, my brother almost died. I said, I'm $250,000 down in the hole. She goes, what's going on? And I said, I can't, I don't, I don't have enough money. She goes, well, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Just like, it was nothing. I was like, did she? Just say she's gonna give me 250. She goes, Yeah, yeah. What else, Cheryl? What else? And I was she's like, Who are these people you're feeding? Tell me about them. And what I loved is that she had a genuine interest in who and what we were doing. Who are these people that are hungry, Cheryl? How do we help them get from one step to the next step? And that right there spoke so many volumes to me, a lady on her level, right? So I explained that to her, and then she said, Okay, so is there anything else you need? I said, Yes. Um, my birthday's next month and I'm an orphan. So like you have got to take me in. So on my birthday, she, uh, the ne- it was the next week, actually on my birthday, she federal expressed me two purses and one purse had a check for Minnie's food pantry for $250,000 in the purse. True story. You, you see behind me, it says, dear Cheryl, keep living in the spirit space. Many blessings abide there. Happy birthday, sis. Oprah Winfrey. That's what's behind me right there. Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. And so. That was crazy. But we kept talking and she goes, so I'm going to send you something. Is there anything else you need? I'm like, yeah. I said, for I've been asking you for a long time to come be my keynote speaker in my gala where we raise all our money. I said, it's kind of like Noah saying it's going to rain and and everybody's laughing at him because it hasn't rained. I said, or Paul Revere saying the British is coming and nothing happens. I said, that's how Cheryl has been. I said, every year I have put your name at the table saying you're going to come attend. And every year I would tell Jan, Oprah's coming. And Jan would be like, Cheryl, that's a lot to do. That's a lot to ask her. That's a lot. Yeah, you that's know? Jan. By the way, that's so Jan. <laughs> Can't you see her, right? And so um, so when she's on the phone, she says, so you're asking me to do what? I said, I want you to come and speak. So the $250,000 I just gave to you wasn't good enough. I said, no, honey, it's not good enough. She goes, okay, I'll do it, Cheryl. And um, if you look on YouTube and you Google Oprah Winfrey and Minnie's Food Pantry, there is this amazing 35-minute speech that Oprah Winfrey does. And she talks about her fueling her. She never has to leave the house because she does whatever she wants to do. But she says she had to do it for me because I was relentless and I did the work. And she wanted to applaud me for doing the work. And it was just, we raised almost $2 million that night. Yeah, but that's the that's the that's the um, testament to not giving up. And and I tell people, people say no n o because they don't k n o w. They don't know who you are. They don't know what your passion or your purpose is. But once you really educate them, and that light goes off, that no changes. So when people mm. tell me no, I just say not yet. I'm like, you don't know who I am, and that's okay. I have to do a better job of educating you on who I am and what I need from you. Because I believe that we all have something that somebody else needs to get us to the level we need to go to. All of us do. You're going to help somebody get to their next level, Mike. I'm going to help somebody get to their next level. And somebody's going to help me and you. So that's an that's amazing story. And it, and it goes to show like 
why she's Oprah, right? Mm-hmm. Just because the generosity, mm-hmm. the generosity doing it just because it's the nice and right thing. And just being other centered, whereas a lot of people are like, no, I need the right press. I need the right look. It's why she's such an icon. Yeah. Is there's none of that. Like, there's hardly anyone like that, that I, that I come across. There are, there are people like that, but there aren't a lot who are that generous. But now since COVID hit, I know that there's been more people hungry. Exactly. There's Exactly. And what, tell me the difference of what's going on now. So it, it, I'll just give an example. When, Pre-COVID, we were we were serving about 5,000 people per month. Now we're doing almost 20,000. Last month, we did over 19,000 people, serve over 19,000 families. Mm-hmm. It's almost a 400% increase. And we really, as a leader in our executive team, we had to change our mindset on even how we serve and where we serve. Normally, we serve just from our headquarters here. But because, you know, I got a phone call from the school district, there's 16,000 kids that was living on free and reduced lunches. So the, the school made that they said, we'll give them breakfast and lunch. But now these families, they don't have dinner. They've lost their jobs. So we made the commitment to provide them with dinner. And so we have, I mean, drive throughs at different schools, at colleges, at companies where, you know, at any given time, it's 400 to 1,000 cars every single day. And one particular day, I had five drive drive through food locations going at one time. It was just amazing. Um it's a great feeling. I drove around to all of them and I just really, I just breathed it in because I'm like, this may or may not ever happen in the history of our um, organization again. And hopefully there won't be a need, but to be on the front line, able to serve our community the way that we're doing, it's such a blessing, but it's really frightening. Um, they said on the 25th or 31st, you know, these people are receiving their checks and they were getting the extra $600. Now, if that goes away, uh, our numbers will significantly increase and in, so I'm praying that that gets passed. But in the meantime, you know, those who can give, they see the need now and even more than ever. And I'm thankful that, you know what, they, they're saying, let us help you. And then those who need, you know, they're they're coming through. And in and, and the face of hunger, like I said earlier, the face of hunger has definitely changed. You know, I've seen people drive in infinities and escalades and, you know, you you name the vehicle, hunger does not discriminate, doesn't discriminate against race, gender, whatever it is. And it's certainly, um, I've seen them all. And, and one lady, I said, you still have new tags, you know, on your car. And she just started crying. She said, my husband, his salary was reduced in half. He still has a job. But most of us, whether we're making $100,000 or we're making $20,000, we're living on whatever level we're making the income. So if you're making $100,000 and they take it to 50, you're in trouble. Whereas somebody that's making 20 says, give me 50 and I'd be okay. So people don't understand that. And so we teach at Minnie's Food Pantry, never judge. When a car comes up, you don't worry about what it looks like and seems like. Your job is to make sure that they get taken care of with dignity, integrity, and respect. And what are the typical items that come in when someone gets uh, food for a debt? You know, I'm glad you asked that because when I first started, Mike, I would probably give out like maybe 10, 11 canned goods. And then protein was uh, was uh, peanut butter. And I was just happy that somebody had gave some peanut butter for protein. Then we went up to tuna, a can of tuna. But these days we um, we are giving away about 180 pounds of food, which is equivalent to probably 150 meals. And the items, you typically get about 15 to 20 canned goods, you get corn, green beans, you get spaghetti, spaghetti sauce, you get um, Roman noodles, you get snacks for the kids, you get peanut butter, you get tuna, you get, I mean, it's 
everything that you need to make a meal, you get that. And then on top of that, we um, give them an 18 pound box of fresh fruit, which is um, um, fruits and vegetables. So like today, they got a three pound bag of apples, three pound bag of oranges, three pound bag of potatoes, three pound bag of carrots and a three pound bag of um, onions. And so it's just like, and then meat. So we partner with a company and they've given us like five pound bags of meat. So Last week, for instance, on all of our giveaways, each person got four or five pound bags of meat. It's like fajita chicken meat and it was um, Harmel and Tyson. So it's good stuff. And that's what I'm excited about. It's just like, I'm not just giving out anything. I'm giving out things that you and I would both buy. When I see it come through, I'm like, wow, this is happening at Minis, you know? And people are like, there's a lot of giveaways happening, but none of them is like Minnie's Food Pantry. And we we do that on purpose. When we go on location, we have our um, remote, uh, we have big sound boxes and sound systems with our music going. So we're dancing when the drive-through comes through and it's like karaoke time and we're telling them to dance. So but by the time they get up, if I'm in the front, get up to me, I'm dr- driving them on up and say, come on, you know, and it's just a happy moment. The kids, my dad used to um, eat these little blow pops, you know, with the uh, candy and the inside. So we'll give them the candies just in memory of my dad. If the kids are there and the parents say it's okay. So we just try to make it very, very festive. So if they do need a meal, they're not thinking about that. They're thinking about the person giving it to them. So what's your vision? Where do you want this all to go for you? Do you have a vision of where you want to end up in five years with this? I I do. I actually want to put a minis. My next one is actually to do what I told my mother I was going to do on our last call. I want to build a mini's food pantry right on. We bought the land. And so we're going to build a mini's food pantry on Prosperity Street, although everybody lives in poverty on Prosperity Street. And then my vision is to come out and I want to do something in Tent City. I want to do L.A. I mean, Skid Row. I went out there um, during the holidays and I've I've taken my trucks and they've driven out there and we fed the um, homeless out there. And I think that there is a great opportunity for us to connect with them. Some people they're in skid on skid row because they want to be. Some people are, don't want to be, but they don't have any help. So I have a vision of finding out who wants to stay there and who wants to try to get out of there and how do we work together to get that done. And then to just really franchise Minnie's Food Pantry and take it around the world. Uh, there's no other place like Minnie's Food Pantry. It's it's an experience, and we've created a place and a space where people they can um, they try to duplicate, they imitate, but they cannot duplicate. So, what's for you right now? What's the biggest challenge that's getting in your way of doing more? Like you're saying, what's the biggest challenge? Well, as you know, like the funding, when 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 the pandemic hit, you know, a lot of our community partners, let's say, for instance, if we had Walmart as one of our community partners. So when people started going to the grocery stores, we became a voice so that we were kind of like food rescuers. That's what we would do. We would go to 56 different, um, do 56 pickups a week. We would go to Walmart. And let's just say, for instance, a salad expires in three days, they will pull that salad so it's not thrown in the trash and we would immediately get it out into our community, right? Well, when the pandemic hit, now there's nothing to expire because everybody is buying all the food. So now we're having to pay retail price. If we run out of the food that we need, we're having to pay retail prices for that food. And then having transportation, um, having refrigerated trucks, they are like $100,000 a piece for these trucks. But they're so important because when we go on location to, um, to give out food, I, my goal and my dream is to make sure that at every location, we're able to give out 
the meat, the milk, like Borden's of meet us and bring us the milk. But we have to have those type of trucks. And so if I were to do that and we're doing five locations at one time, that's a half a million dollars in just trucks that I would have to purchase. And so we have to do one and then we'll do another one. So that's some of the challenges. And then to be quite honest with you, we started the pandemic with 17 employees. We have 52 right now that helps us get this out. But that's because there's a company that Mark Cuban and others invested in called Shift Smart, and they brought in 35 employees to come and work for us to make sure that we're able to meet the need of hunger in our community. When this ends, whenever it is, it may go through the next month. We got another month through August. But when this ends, then I'll be challenged with trying to hire the same amount of people so that we can continue on the level just right now where we're at. So that's that's a concern for me. Hmm. Well, <clears throat> learned a lot. And uh, you're a driven, inspiring, as Jan Miller said, action Jackson, action Cheryl Jack, <laughs> Cheryl Action Jackson. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, people can check out uh, what what Cheryl's up to and everything going on at minisfoodpantry.org. You can also follow her on social media at Minnie's Pantry is on uh, Instagram and Cheryl Action is on Instagram. And Cheryl Action's on Instagram. Um, and also, I'd love for you guys to check out my free empowerment group on Facebook. We meet every Tuesday on Zoom. To learn more, go to any of my social media handles, Coach Mike Bear, or go to coachmikebear.com to join. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Always Evolving with the Coach Mike podcast today. We will send you reminders about all our upcoming podcasts. And I really want to thank you, Cheryl, for joining us today. And uh, I know this won't be the last of our connection. So I hope not. I hope not. Thank you for allowing me on your platform. I appreciate it. Thank you.